the following podcast has been paid for by Perched on the Top Rope. Welcome everyone to Perched on the Top Rope. It is the adorable one, Alex Todd. I am alone this week. Rob and Lee are both on their way home from Big Event and Showcase of Legend 6, where we hosted our very first autograph signing with the Inspiration, Cassie Lee and Jesse McKay, formerly known as the Inspirations, Billy Kay and Peyton Royce in WWE, now working for Impact Wrestling. It is just going to be I tonight, and I I just cannot believe the show that we were given last night. Some people might say I'm an AEW mark, but honestly, when the shows are good, I'm a WWE mark too. But last night's Full Gear pay-per-view was absolutely incredible. It was basically the compounding of a two-year journey of one specific hangman, Adam Page. The, this, this booking has gone on for like two years now. This story with hangman Adam Page started way back at AEW's first pay-per-view where he faced and lost to Chris Jericho in the inaugural AEW World Championship match. It's just, it's been an incredible ride, and we're going to get into that more in a little while, but first, I'm just going to do kind of a, a rundown results and review, like, my thoughts on the pay-per-view, those specific matches, and, you know, we'll go from there. So, the first match of the night, we had MJF versus Darby Allen. This was a kind of a cool match for me because it seems like they took the heat that MJF had with his last feud with Chris Jericho, where he was arguably one of the most hated men in professional wrestling, similar to Chris Jericho when he was feuding with Shawn Michaels back in like 2008, 2009. It's funny how the tables kind of turn. But they kind of they took that heat that he's been getting, and yes, he lost the blow-off match with Chris Jericho, but by switching into this immediate feud with Darby Allin, who is another one of the beloved wrestlers, you know, one, one of the fan favorites. Uh, you know, they, they've done, he's done awful things to him. He's beaten the holy hell out of him. He's had his mercenaries of the pinnacle absolutely destroy him. And they, they compiled that into this match. And the match was pretty good. Um, nothing that, you know, completely stuck out with the exception of one spot during the match where they had, um, they had a small package or inside cradle, um, like they had a, a duel back and forth. So you know how someone would get somebody in the pin and then you reverse it and then you reverse it back and you see these guys go back and forth in pin reversals. Well, it was basically that, but then they started rolling around the ring while still in said hold, which was, it was kind of funny. It was like a comedy spot of the show, but the fans absolutely ate it up. It popped the fans huge and they thought it was the greatest thing ever. We saw Darby Allen with um, one of the top rope finishers that he does. He did it right off the top rope to the floor of the arena. 
it was it was just it was a pretty cool match um Unfortunately, if you are a Darby Allen fan, this one did not end well as the referee was distracted and MJF ended up hitting Darby Allen with the dynamite diamond ring and ended up securing the pinfall after a hard-fought match and he lives to fight another day. Uh, personally, I think this was the right move. Darby's great, but obviously it's not his time just yet and I think it will be at some point, but we needed to have the heat still on... MJF. MJF is is one of those homegrown stars that is slowly coming into his own and and by that I mean he's he's just about ready. He is literally at the spot of like he is probably in my opinion going to be one of the next title contenders if not the next world champion. It just it makes sense. MJF is probably the most hated man in professional wrestling with the exception of a babyface Roman Reigns maybe. So I could see MJF totally being the next world heavyweight champion. So I think he needed to keep his heat going. And a pinfall victory over Darby Allen does such. Darby, we love you. You'll be just fine. Trust me, your day's coming. On to the next match. We had the Lucha Brothers, Penta El Cerro Miedo, and Ray Fenix versus FTR's Dex Harwood and Cash Wheeler, formerly known as the Revival. Lucha Brothers come in, defending the AEW World Tag Team Champions, FTR, the Challengers. Also, they are the AAA World Tag Team Champions. So they were go- they were looking to hold double the gold. I have a feeling that this feud isn't over yet. There's, there's going to be more. There's going to have to be like a double title match at some point. That being said, this was an incredible match. This was a very... It wasn't too... Over the top rope, like you see with some of the Lucha Brothers matches, where you know they do the acrobatics get a little get to be a little too much. It wasn't that bad. Um, they they were good at using that type of wrestling when they needed to, but it was also a very technically wrestled match, and it it brought me old tag team wrestling vibes, and part of that might be due to the old school mentality of FTR. But either way, uh, I enjoyed the match plenty. little Easter egg that some people may not have seen. About uh, halfway through the match, I want to say it was. It might have been like three quarters of the way through. FTR was on the upside. They had control of the match. And at one point, I can't remember what the name of the finisher was. So if somebody remembers it, you can comment and point it out. But the old finisher that American Alpha did with Jason Jordan and Chad Cable. I can't remember what the name of it was, but FTR actually did American Alpha's finisher during the match. And it doesn't surprise me because they're very good friends with them. They're especially very good friends with Chad Gable. And it was just kind of a cool throwback to their days in NXT that I really liked. Um, So later on in the match, FTR goes under the ring. They Attempt to put on those masks that they've been wearing when they were disguising themselves as luchadors. I can't remember what the name was that they were going by. They put the masks on and they switch to have their illegal man in the ring. And one thing leads to another. And they end up getting pinned and the Lucha Brothers end up winning the match. I have a feeling that this match is not over because they're going to complain that, oh, the wrong man was pinned. Because I'm pretty sure it was Cash Wheeler that was in the ring and Dax Harwood was the legal man. 
they're probably going to complain, oh, we didn't we didn't actually lose, the wrong man was pinned. So I don't see this feud being over with yet. Hence, when I said before that I think we have a double title match coming. The next match was Brian Danielson versus Miro. This was the culmination of the AEW World Championship Eliminator Tournament. Miro ended up being substituted in in the semifinals. John Moxley is out for an undetermined period of time. He has checked himself into in-person rehab. Mox, we're with you. That being said, that left a hole in the AEW Eliminator Tournament. Miro ended up returning and taking that spot. This was an amazing match. This was one of my favorite matches of the night. It's weird because we've seen formerly known as Rusev and Daniel Bryan face off in WWE a number of times. And I had never got the sense of what a great professional wrestling match that they could put on was when they were in WWE. But watching this match last night, it was technically sound. Uh, they played to the uh, David versus Goliath type feel with Rusev being much larger than uh, Daniel Bryan. Or should I say Miro being much taller than Bryan Danielson. Sorry, force of habit. Um it was just, it was awesome. And in the end, it came down to Danielson, not Daniel Bryan, Danielson. Uh, he did a tornado DDT off the top rope onto Miro. And it looked like it might have been botched a little bit, or that could have just been what they were going for. It was from the very top rope. And then as soon as Miro slightly lifts his head when he gets up, Danielson puts in the guillotine choke and secures the victory. Brian Danielson is the number one contender for the AEW World title. Say what you will. Um, do I think Brian Danielson should have been the number one contender yet? In my opinion, no, but I'll get to why later. Um, I think in this case, Miro should have won, and Brian Danielson could have gone another day, another time, and he could have won in the future. But we'll get to that later on. The next match we had was a six-man Tag team, falls count anywhere, street fight, whatever you want to call it. It was a falls count anywhere match between Christian Cage and the Jurassic Express Jungle Boy and Luchasaurus facing the super click team of Adam Cole and the Young Bucks with Brandon Cutler and Michael Nakazawa. Um, this was an okay match. It kind of fit like the hardcore match on the card that you just kind of try and squeeze in there on a pay-per-view to make everybody happy. It was good use of all six performers. I don't know. This one just didn't do a lot for me, and I'm not sure why. Maybe it was just the type of match. Maybe it was my feeling that Adam Cole and Christian Cage could have had like their own match, and they could have done a tag team match between Jurassic Express and the Young Bucks at some point. I just feel like those two storylines could have been separated more. There was a cool spot in this match where Luchasaurus took a triple V trigger from Cole and the Young Bucks. They all had thumbtacks on their knee pads. It looked brutal, but obviously he's got a mask on, so that might have protected him from what would normally be pretty painful. In the end, Christian Cage sets up a concerto to Matt Jackson, and Jungle Boy walks up and says, no, let me do it. This is finally over. I'm putting an end to this. And he takes the chair, and he hits Matt Jackson over the head with it and secures the victory for his team. Like I said, for this match, for me, it just it wasn't bad. 
there was nothing really wrong with it at all. It just it wasn't for me, and you'll have that sometimes in professional wrestling, and that's okay. The next tag team match that we had was Cody Rhodes and Pac facing Malachi Black and Andrade El Idolo. This was like a, two blood feuds turned into one. Cody Rhodes has been feuding with Malachi Black ever since Black debuted. Pac has been debuting, uh, my bad, Pac has been feuding with Andrade Alidolo basically since Andrade Alidolo showed up. He's been trying to get the Lucha Brothers and Pac to go their separate ways, trying to get the Lucha Brothers to turn on Pac. He's He's been trying to split the Death Triangle up for some time now, and they basically took two feuds and put it into one tag team match, not specifically my cup of tea. But this match was very defining, in my opinion, for Pac's AEW career. It seemed like he was much of the spotlight of the match, whereas normally, if you're watching this, you would have probably guessed that Cody Rhodes would have been the spotlight, or Malachi Black, or even Andrade Alito. But uh, I think I think they did good by Pac in this match. Uh, towards the end of the match, all hell breaks loose, and Pac hits the Black Arrow on Andrade Alito and wins the match for his team, for him and Cody Rhodes. Now, the reason I say that this was specifically tailored to Pac is Pac was the one that got the victory. They showcased a lot of his abilities in this match. You also you have to remember during the pandemic or during the major part of the beginning of the pandemic that Pac had to go home for quite some time due to travel restrictions. You know, he really couldn't get over to the States to film. Well, he could film from home, but he couldn't get over to the States to actually be on AEW. And that... I think cost him a lot compared to some other performers because he wasn't able to be there to get over with the fans. Not that he can't in vignettes, but, you know, it's just different, you know. And even when fans first started showing back up, he still wasn't there for a little bit. So it's it's time to put that effort back in the pack into making him a serious player. And I think they did just that here. And I'm really excited to see where it's going. The next match was... Dr. Britt Baker versus Ty Conti for the AEW Women's World Championship. This was a pretty good match. Ty Conti, I feel like, has been overlooked for some time now in professional wrestling in general. It's like when she was in NXT, she was on screen with the Undisputed Era, and then she was off screen pretty immediately. They tried to get her in some spots here and there in NXT, and then that fell through, and then she showed up to AEW and she joined the Dark Order and that was about to be I think a big pushing start for her as a heel but then unfortunately we had the passing of Brody Lee and that kind of changed the direction of the Dark Order to where they were baby faces and they had some more priorities not that Ty isn't one but they were doing a lot of um you know paying respects to Brody in some of their storylines and they were showing negative one Brody's son and you know a lot of stuff like that John Silver and Alex Reynolds uh, both kind of took a little bit of a spotlight of the team as well but you know getting back to putting the spotlight on Ty I think this was the perfect match to do so Um, it was it was an incredibly wrestled match her MMA background mixes with her type of ring work very well and I'm very excited to see what she can do in the future. Obviously, Britt Baker has turned into a solid in-ring performer as well, so there's never really a bad match that she puts on. That was, you know, just, it was a really well-wrestled match. 
towards the end, it actually looked like Ty had Britt's number. She went to put in the, the what is it, the the lockjaw, I believe, is what she calls it, the, her submission move. And Ty actually reversed it into a pin. And then the only reason that she ended up losing was because Britt just happened to reverse the pin and do it a little stronger. But like she was seconds away from winning, and I think that put her over with the fans pretty pretty well. It's um. It's nice to see that they're starting to make AEW. That is is starting to make some of their women's wrestlers actually look a little more credible because that's one thing that everybody's kind of complained about with AEW is that their women's division was lacking a little bit at the beginning, and I think they're starting to put you know those words to rest. We have Britt Baker, we have Chris Statlander that's over, we have Hikaru Shida, we have Ty Conti. You know, uh, Thunder Rose is there now, so there's there's a lot. And speaking of which, there was a lot of interfering in this match, too, from uh, Rebel and Jamie Hayter. And I have a feeling that we're probably going to see Anna Jay and Thunder Rosa come into the situation, too. It'll, it'll be cool to see what happens. But uh, I don't think this feud's over with yet, either. But Dr. Britt Baker, DMD, was victorious on this night. And she she does an incredible job, guys. She'll live another day. The next match we have, this one was one of my favorites. Oh, my gosh. Um, I This was the match I was looking forward to the most on this pay-per-view. CM Punk versus Eddie Kingston. These two men created magic on AEW a couple weeks ago. The fiery promo they had in the ring where CM Punk wanted an apology, and then Eddie Kingston comes out and he talks about how Punk never believed in him and put him down when he was trying to fix his mental crap and whatnot early on in their careers when they were sharing locker rooms and whatnot. And uh, Punk turns around and tells him that he wasn't the only one that was disappointed by Eddie Kingston. He says how Samoa Joe was disappointed in him too and Homicide and Brian Danielson and the Amazing Red. And it lights a fire under Eddie. And I've not, I haven't seen this fire in Eddie. I've been watching Eddie Kingston now since he debuted in Impact Wrestling a couple of years ago. I've never seen this kind of fire in him like this. And the crowd was even behind him. And it, it, it goes to show what kind of performer that both CM Punk and Eddie Kingston are. Punk, who has just come back from being gone for seven years, who you wouldn't think anybody would be able to boo this guy. He is so good at what he does that he knew how to turn the crowd in Eddie's favor while still playing a baby face as well. Uh, they're both kind of, in, I feel like, in tweener territory in this match. But he was so good at what he did that he got the crowd behind Eddie. And, oh, my God, the crowd was behind Eddie last night. This was not a wrestling match. This was a fight. And for being a regular match that, you know, you could get disqualified. And, you know, there wasn't no disqualification or anything like that. It was crazy the amount of violence that we actually saw in this match. Multiple times, uh, you know, Eddie trying to bite CM Punk. CM Punk trying to just blast him with fists. The beginning of the match, Eddie uh, literally backhands and knocks Punk out before the match even starts. And towards the end of the match, you see that CM Punk gets busted open. There's blood everywhere. This was just a straight fight this was two men who have bad blood with each other or did at one point taking it and turning it into a storyline and this is kind of them coming and beating the hell out of each other and i think this was the match that the fans got behind the most it was just there was the fans were not quiet from beginning to end and 
me personally, like I said, I think this was one of my favorite matches. In the end, Punk manages to get Eddie Kingston knocked out for just long enough to hit him with the go to sleep and picks up the victory, staying undefeated in AEW. I have a feeling this one's not over with yet either. Punk went to shake Eddie's hand at the end of the match and Eddie walked out. I personally would be a little upset if this leads to an Eddie Kingston heel turn because I think that man has star-studded babyface potential written on him. He is the everyday man. He talks about his mental day, his mental health. He talks about the problems that he's had in life. And this man is the everyday person because he struggles through what everybody does. And he comes to work still and he keeps fighting and he's a badass. And that's why everybody gets behind him. I don't think that there's a need for him to turn heel in this rivalry. I don't know that there's a need for Punk to turn heel either. He could. I think that could work too. But I don't think that either of them need to turn in order for this feud to continue. And hopefully they won't. Because I for sure would love to see CM Punk Eddie Kingston Part 2. The Inner Circle faces Men of the Year Ethan Page and Scorpion Sky and American Top Team in a Minneapolis street fight. Um, once again, this match didn't do much either for me just because I really wasn't there for the hardcore aspect of the show last night. It wasn't bad. There was nothing wrong with it. This was more of a grunge match of Chris Jericho and the Inner Circle getting revenge on Dan Lambert and American Top Team after Jericho was put through the table on AEW Dynamite. Um, I just... It wasn't bad, like I said, just like the, uh, the Bucks and Cole match earlier. It wasn't bad. The Inner Circle ended up picking up the victory, not surprising at all. I didn't really see Ethan Page and Scorpio Sky defeating... The inner circle, even with the help of American Top Team, I just didn't see it happening. It was cool. Hopefully Chris Jericho gets to move on to something else now. Or Sammy Guevara. Oh, speaking of Sammy Guevara, between this match and the main event, we went to Tony Schiavone on the stage where he said that they had a special guest with them tonight and that he was going to be making his first appearance. And much to the surprise of the crowd, we found out last night that Jay Lethal is now all elite. Jay Lethal made his AEW debut last night right before the main event. His contract was obviously one of the ones terminated by Ring of Honor as they recently terminated the contracts of all their talent. And it looks like he's not really sticking around to see whatever kind of show they're planning on doing next year comes up. He took his ball, he ran with it as he should have, and he is now all elite. He goes on to say that he knows that the Inner Circle just had their street fight match but he does want to challenge sammy guevara for a tnt title match next week on aew dynamite and he goes well i know that he just had a match so obviously we can wait until wednesday sammy guevara walks back out onto the stage after having just finished his match and accepts and we will see jay lethal facing sammy guevara for the tnt title on wednesday so it's going to be interesting to see how Jay Lethal's AEW career goes. We'll have to stay tuned to find out. Ladies and gentlemen, we have come to the main event. This has been two years in the making. Hangman Adam Page. Kenny Omega for the AEW World Championship. We're going to take a look back for a minute. 2019, AEW is first born. They have their first 
pay-per-view. And for the AEW World Championship, it is Hangman Adam Page versus Chris Jericho. And Hangman lost. Jericho was the first ever AEW World Championship, and that really stuck to Adam Page. He was depressed about it. He started second-guessing himself. It led to a lot of interesting storytelling. Kenny Omega at the time had gone through something similar, wasn't able to win a big match. He decided that he and Adam Page should team up and become a tag team because they're both down on their luck, and then they both could use a friend. And it becomes instant success. Adam Page and Kenny Omega win the World Tag Team Championships, and I believe they held on to them for like nearly a year. I don't remember the exact number of days that they held them, but it, it was close to a year. And they were an arguably the best tag team wrestling match ever at AEW Revolution when they faced um, the Young Bucks. And so they were, they were jiving. They were jiving, and then Hangman started having some more personal issues. He uh, didn't want anything to come between his friendship with Kenny and the Bucks. And so when they had an AEW Eliminator Tag Team Tournament, he cost the Bucks the Tag Team title match. Um, and he started drinking more. He started having issues with Kenny because Kenny didn't like the amount he was drinking. And he kind of became a prick. And for a little while, it looked like he was going to be the one to actually turn heel. He essentially, at that time, got kicked out of the Elite. He uh, was still tag team champions with Kenny at the time, but he got kicked out of the Elite. Nobody was hanging out with him anymore. And then he starts hanging out with FTR, Dex, Harwood, and Cash Wheeler. They go back. They were friends in the past before. And... He starts drinking with them, and they've kind of got him tricked into believing that he is their friend. And it's all basically a setup for FTR to eventually win the tag team titles from Kenny Omega and Hangman Adam Page. And at this point, Kenny's done with Adam. I believe it was either that match or during their rematch. Uh, they lost, and at the end of the match, Hangman Adam Page goes to get up, and he just doesn't have the energy to do so. And Kenny just lets him fall, and he walks away. And from there, we see everybody go their separate ways. Omega and the Young Bucks would eventually turn heel. Kenny would win the World Heavyweight Championship. The Bucks would win the tag team titles. And Adam Page was all alone. And he makes friends with the Dark Order after Brody Lee's untimely passing. And unfortunately, they all end up losing this match to the Elite earlier this year, which would have given them tag team title shots and Hangman a world title match. Hangman goes on to disappear for a little while. In real life, it was due to him having a child. He makes a return recently in the casino ladder match, wins a shot at the world title, and here we are. Kenny versus Adam, the final chapter. What a match. I've never heard a crowd pop so hard since, I don't know, back in maybe the days of AJ Styles. It was, it was incredible. This was such... An amazing match to watch between the way they wrestled it, the storytelling behind it. This has been AEW's brainchild since this promotion started. This was the storyline that they already had planned and settled for the most part coming into the inception of the company. All of this was set up from day one. And you just you don't see that kind of storytelling in WWE anymore these days, sadly. They, they're capable of it, but they don't do it for whatever reason. But you saw it here. This was a two-year story, and 
it was done right because hangman adam page goes to win the match he goes to do the buckshot lariat to the back of kenny's head from one side and he sees the young bucks and they just kind of stare at him for a second they he hits the move he goes back to the other side of the ring and he's about to hit kenny forward with the buckshot lariat and he looks over and matt jackson staring at him and he just shakes his head at him with like a yes because there was that con- confrontation earlier this week where hangman said if you guys get involved i'm gonna knock your heads off but i'm sorry as well for everything i did to mess with our friendship before and the Bucks basically gave him a pass. He hit he hit Kenny with the Buckshot Lariat, and he won. Hangman Adam Page is your new world champion, and it's incredible storytelling. Like I said, it was a good feel. It was a good feel to an end of a pay per view, an end of a story. If their matches continue between Kenny and Adam, obviously I'm on board. But I think this is a good time for them to to separate for a little bit, and I think this is a good time for maybe Kenny to just disappear for a little bit and come back refreshed with something to do um i think that'll that'll stick to the meaning of this victory for hangman adam page one thing i'm going to go back to before i call it a do we talked earlier about my opinion on brian danielson winning the aew world title eliminator match this doesn't make sense to me now because now we have two baby faces unless danielson's turning heel I don't know why we're setting up Brian Danielson, Hangman Adam, Adam Page. Could be that Danielson has to work with him. It could be that they have a plan. But this is why I felt that Miro would have been best suited. Uh, he would have been a good heel for Hangman Adam Page to start his world title reign with. It would have been a good feud. But it, it'll be, no matter what, it'll be an incredible match. I see good things that could come from Brian Danielson and Hangman Adam Page, but I think Miro would have been the better option. I just kind of wanted to touch on that because I had explained it earlier. Well, guys, it has come to that time of the evening. It's time for me to shamelessly plug our social media. If you want to find us on YouTube, our name is Perched on the Top Rope. It's the same with Facebook. You can find us Perched on the Top Rope. We have a couple different names with some of our other social media because people were dumb and took our name at one point or another. On Twitter, our name is at Perched Top Rope. On Instagram, at PerchedTopRope. And on TikTok, one word, Perched on the Top Rope. You can find us on Apple Podcasts. You can find us on Spotify. You can find us on just about most places that you can listen to podcasts. And if you can't find us, shoot us a message on our Facebook page, and we'll try and get that set up for you. Other than that, guys, there's only one last thing I can tell you, and that's spoiler-free is the way to be. I'm out. Mm -hmm.